Well, whenever I think about bread, I can't help but go back to about eight years ago, actually eight years ago this summer, when a mission group from Servants of Christ headed out from here to Turkey, the country of Turkey. You wouldn't dare send a mission trip to Turkey right now, but eight years ago, it was completely safe. At least that's what I told my wife. And we went to Turkey to be with our mission partners, Brent and Kim McHugh, who are now living in Spain. Brent and Kim, if you're watching, hey, we, we love you guys, and we continue to pray and support you. Um, that's a whole long other story. But the thing I want to mention about uh, going to Turkey is that I, I enjoyed many things about Turkey, but nothing more than the fresh bread. Whatever little cafe you would go into, any little, probably was a lot like France McDermott's, but we don't want to hear about it, okay? But in Turkey, when we would go to these cafes, the first thing they would do is bring out a little bowl of what we would think of as salsa. It was, it was a little drier, uh, not quite as tomatoey. I'm going to make you all hungry this morning. Uh, but tomatoes and onions and peppers all, all chopped up, and it was just amazing. And then they would bring out fresh baked bread. Now, I'm talking the best bread you've ever had except for the McDermott's, in your entire life. And this bread was always unique. Whatever little bakery, whatever little restaurant, cafe you walked into, here was this, the McDermott's went to France, by the way, for a month, if you don't know that. You're not on Facebook, and so that's why I keep referring to them, just for those that are visiting with us. But anyway, so, um, so the reason, so I, but anyway, every little place you went to, there was a different type of bread, and it was wonderful, and it was completely free. You know, some of these restaurants in America now, you have to order the bread or the chips and sauce or whatever it is. But in, in, in Turkey, it was always free. And you know, I love a free thing. And so by the time I ate the bread and ate this wonderful salsa type stuff, honestly, I could care less whatever else we ate because I was full up. It was wonderful. It was free. It was fresh. It was amazing. Now, now Jody and my youngest daughter, Samantha, are both gluten-free. And so Bread has become a very different thing in our lives these late last days, but it is still a joy when we find some gluten-free, or GF, for those who know the lingo. GF people are always looking for that really good bread that, that gives them that same experience that we who are gluten tolerant can, uh, can, can take. Um, just wonderful. Man, I just, it just takes me right back there. So. Uh, is Nan here? Nan, are you in the room? No, Nan, there she is. Nan was one of the folks that was with me. You know about the good bread I'm talking about. So. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Jesus begins to use in the Gospel of John one of the seven I am statements that he'll make throughout the Gospel. He, he uses these to, as metaphors, of course, to try to help the people understand who he is, to give the full uh, orb of who he in, in fact is. Now, every one of the metaphors is somewhat limited. They're not perfect. And by no means am I going to say that to understand Jesus as the bread of life is to fully understand Jesus. But it, it gives us a sense of who Jesus is, who he wants to reveal himself to be. Now, I, I went back and, and I wasn't really being rebellious. I just, we read that gospel last week and I wanted to remind you of it because we're going to be in, the, in the John 6 for several weeks. And you need to know the context. Uh, Jesus wants you to think about the wilderness experience. He wants you to think about Exodus 16, where uh, God says, I'm going to give 
the people to eat manna that is bread from heaven that I might test them whether or not they will obey me. That's important. Hang on to that. I'm going to test them by the gift of this manna whether or not they will obey me. Now, uh, you may recall uh, the Israel uh, rebels against God. Um, God's intent is for them to go more quickly into the promised land that's described in, um, in the end of that Deuteronomy passage, that Deuteronomy 8 we read. Also, it's described in our psalm, Psalm 34 that we, we read today. Um, but you, Jesus wants them to be thinking about that, that manna. He's going to relate to it. Um, he's going to help them understand more fully what he is. Jesus does that quite frequent, frequently with Old Testament passages. He, he, he imports meaning for them. He shows them how all the Old Testament scriptures point to him. And definitely it's true with the manna. But you remember that so the, the, children, are, uh, the children of Israel are, are rebellious. They, they do all sorts of things that show a lack of faith in God in the wilderness. And so part of their punishment is that they spend a lot more time in there, that they will learn dependence upon him. He feeds them quail at night. They're able to eat uh, quail. Quail at night and then manna in the morning. Seems like it would get a little monotonous, uh, quail and manna, but uh, this manna was something pretty unique. And so it was coleander seeds, whatever that is, and, and, and it could be used and made into all sorts of, of, of food for the people. And, um, and this is what they ate on. Now, so uh, instantly when Jesus begins to use a metaphor like, I am the bread of life, um, for any Jewish audience, immediately their mind's going to go to that. They're going to think about the Old Testament, Exodus 16, this, this experience of God feeding humans the bread of heaven and it coming down upon them. So that's in their hearts and minds. The other thing you need to know is that Jesus sort of is, is, is drawing a crowd to himself. We're told in John chapter 6, verse 4, that it's actually during the time of the Passover. That's, of course, when most Jews, good Orthodox Jews, would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem, which is why the population in Jerusalem would swell up every time that there was time for a feast. Jesus, interestingly, John records, has drawn such a crowd that there are lots of people who aren't going to Jerusalem but instead are following him around the Sea of Galilee. Interesting, right? He begins to draw this crowd that is, that is looking to him as the source of life and light and, and, and are understanding Jesus to be central to God's plan. Oh, they're still, we would call them seekers of, of Jesus, pursuers of Jesus. If somebody in your neighborhood or your friend at work or your, your, your family member said, hey, I want to come check out church where you go, um, first of all, you can send them to Facebook Live because that's usually a, an easy way to come. We're actually um, on, the, on, the, on Facebook. So, but, uh, but maybe they decide they really want to come and check out the church. We, we would say that person is a pursuer of Jesus. They're, if they begin to want to read the Bible or uh, had questions about the Christian faith, we would say they're one who's pursuing Jesus. And we would be really pleased with that. But I want you to see the context that Jesus is not at all satisfied with people who are simply just seeking him. He, he he's, encourages them, but he, he is calling them to more. He's calling them much more. You, you ever heard a, a famous person say, I want to give all the glory to God? 
and we go, wow, did you hear that? So-and-so is a Christian. Well, no, I mean, maybe yes, maybe no, but, but just because you acknowledge God isn't sufficient and neither is simply saying, you know, uh, we're pursuing Jesus, we're following. We, we didn't go to Passover, it's not enough. We, we keep moving forward in that progression. So what happens? Well, Jesus uh, is with them, John chapter 6. He performs one of his miracles of the feeding of the 5,000. These are recorded all over the Gospels. This is the recording here in John 6 of one of those feedings. And we know that Jesus may have fed more than one group of large people, group of people, but he does it here and uh, takes the, the one small boy, uh, takes his, his barley loaves and his fish, and he prays and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to the people and they're fed. 5,000 men and women and children. Sorry, women and children, they weren't numbered, but we know there was a lot. And Jesus miraculously feeds them. Now, again, for a Jewish audience, instantly you're saying, okay, this, this feels a little familiar, you know, deja vu. Oh, yeah, Exodus 16, God feeds them in the wilderness. It's a barren place, Jesus feeds them. Well, then Jesus is, what happens is we're told that Jesus perceives they want to make him their king. And so he slips away. You know that, that from some Jews, actually at the time of the first century, thought of Moses as almost like a king among his people. Um, it is so easy to, uh, to come to jump to our own conclusions. And Jesus realizes that, that they're about to do this, so he slips away. He slips away to a quiet place, sends the disciples out in the boat, across the lake of, of Gennesareth, the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. It's all the same body of water. It's a huge, huge lake. And as the disciples go out, storm comes up. They can't make their way. You know this story, right? It's told over and over again. And then Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Get in the boat. In this account, instantly they arrive where they're headed, Capernaum. The crowd can't find Jesus. They go looking for him. They get in their boats and they chase after Jesus. This is good, right? They're pursuing Jesus. Good for you. You're pursuing, you're reading C.S. Lewis and you're, and you're moving along here. This is great. Jesus, they come to Jesus and they say, when did you get here? Which is interesting. Not why, how did you get here, but when did you get here? They, they aren't willing to consider that Jesus has somehow miraculously crossed the water. They don't ask him to explain. But again, for us who are reading it, we go, wow, you know, Moses commanded the waves and the water and it moved back and the wind and, and the people crossed. The, this again is sounding a little bit like Moses, you know, in Exodus, you know, the Exodus account. But Jesus says to the crowd of pursuers, seekers, C.S. Lewis readers, you're not here because of the miraculous signs. You're here because I fed you. It's like, Jesus, come on, be a little nicer, right? I mean, we're, we're you know, like, wow, Jesus, that's a little abrupt. But you see what, what Jesus does is he, he's, he's bringing them from simply a, a vague search for him to a laser focus on who he is. And he begins to say, you want to make me like Moses. I'm not like Moses. Moses didn't feed you in the desert. 
My Father in heaven fed you. Whoa. Jesus just identified the God of the universe, the God of the Jewish people, as his Father. And he, he says, my Father is the one who fed you. Jesus, the implication is, I, I'm not Moses in this story. I'm God. I'm the one who's provided for you in the wilderness. I'm, and, but then he doesn't even stop there to say, he says, I am the one who brings the bread of heaven, the bread of life to you. And the people respond in verse 34, give us this bread always. And N.T. Wright says this is a great prayer to pray. We should always want to pray, give us this bread always. But Jesus isn't yet satisfied that they understand. And so he makes it clear. They say, well, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, okay, here it is. You ready? And they go, yes. And he goes, I am the bread of life. Mic drop. I am the bread of life. I'm not simply one who provides for you in the wilderness, but I am God's provision for you, not only in this life, but eternally. I am the bread of life. You see, it's not enough to simply pursue Jesus, as wonderful as that is, and to become inquisitive and to want to read about it. We have to come to the place where we recognize that it is all about Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I talk to, to people who would be seekers, there is this critical moment in the conversation. Are we going to talk about God in the vague, generalized way? Or are we going to talk about the person of Jesus? I would submit to you that John 6 is all about Jesus bringing to laser focus that it is all about him. And that for us to come to faith in him, in God, is to recognize that it is the person of Jesus. Listen at this scandalous thing that Jesus says in verse 33. It was before the reading, so let me read it to you, although I read it out loud. For the bread of God, he says, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Anybody that tells you, well, Jesus never claims to be God in the scriptures is wacky because Jesus claims to be God all over the place. Here, though, particularly, Jesus says, I am life. For the world. So any experience of life, Jesus claims, that you and I are having right now, believer, non-believer, old, young, or in between, everything is a gracious gift from Jesus. He is the giver of all life. You are taking the next breath you take at the mercy and grace of God in Christ. I am the life. Jesus will say it emphatically in a few chapters. I am the resurrection and the life. But here he just says, I am the life. And then he, but then he goes on to say, I am the life of the world. Not simply just the Jewish people. Not only God's chosen people, but all the world. The cosmos, the whole world. He puts the Jewish people on level playing field with every Gentile in the planet. 
I am the life of the world. Jesus, yes, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. We have to come to a place of recognition that, yes, it is all, that the plan of God, the gospel, the mystery of God throughout salvation history is that this person of Jesus is the bread of life. He is the life of the world. Now, the Lord is gracious and merciful to us, and he gives us opportunities over and over again to receive it. But understand that to, to hear that and to, you know, Jesus says to the, to the crowd, I've shown you myself and yet you don't believe, is to fall short, is to bring, at least for that moment, judgment upon yourself. Dangerous place to be. Jesus spends some time in the middle of verses here that we won't unpack for a very long time, but I just want to point them out to you. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. A few verses later, the Jewish leaders are complaining. They're saying, well, um, how does Jesus come from heaven? We know Joseph. We know Mary. This guy, you know, we can look up his, his address. How can he say he's from heaven? And Jesus says, don't grumble among yourselves. Anybody that's supposed to know me is going to know me because the Father's going to draw him to me. It's kind of interesting how he just dismisses. He knows they're grumbling and says, Here, here's a, a very sovereign grace scripture verse. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That's great comfort to those of us that know Christ, that, 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 we, that we're going to endure to the end, that we're going to be a part of those that God brings into his eternity. But then jump down to verse 40. Because there's a balance here. Verse 40, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, throughout the history of the church, the church has gotten in trouble when they elevated verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and or elevated verse 40, those who look to the Son and believe in him will be saved to the to the absence of the other. There is what theologians call a atenomy here. Atenomy. It's, it starts with an A. I can't spell it, but it, I know it. Atenomy. And it means two things that seem contradictory to us, but that in the mind of God are not. They're in balance. So we trust in the grace of the Lord, and yet we seek Christ while He may be found. We look on the Son and believe Him. We say despite the fact that it seems so radical, we believe that it is all about Jesus Christ, that he, in fact, is the life of the world. Just a light little homily this morning. Sorry, guys. Wish I could give you a little more uh, substance of Scripture, but... Well, what are we to do with this? Well, thank goodness we're in John 6 for four weeks. So we don't have to say it all today. But here's the two things I think you need to take away. Number one, it is always our human tendency to trust the provision rather than the provider. That was the children of Israel's problem. Uh, they, they wanted God to do what they wanted God to do. They wanted God to be at their beck and call, and God makes it emphatically clear, I am not at your beck and call. I serve you, but you are not my master, God says. We are always have a tendency to, to worship, 
to uh, expect, to have expectations of how we want God to provide rather than trusting Him that He will be provider. When we were first married, there were times where money was very, very scarce. Jody and I have been married 26 years now, but there were times, well, there's still times because now we're paying for a wedding, but, but, you know, and I would pray, oh Lord, you know my circumstances. I'm not wasting my money here. If you could just send a check from anybody for say 500 to $1,000, oh, awesome. God, that would be so amazing. We wanted the Lord to provide how we wanted Him to provide. The test of faith comes when God doesn't send the check in the mail, but instead lets you suffer hand to mouth until such a time as the next paycheck comes or the next true provision comes. We're we're always wanting and tempted to ask God to provide what we want, how we want it. It's interesting that, that, the, that the scriptures tell us in Deuteronomy 8 that God gave them the manna in the wilderness as a test of their obedience. We look at it as the provision, but it is a test of their obedience. Will they trust me? You remember that they, so, I can so relate to Moses. He says, okay, go out, you collect one omers, whatever that is, one omers worth of bread. Don't get more, don't get, you know, don't get less, get one omer. Well, some get more and some get less, and God just equalizes it out. So they try to get more, you know. And he says, now don't get more than one day's supply because it's going to rot and smell and you're not going to like it. So what do they do? Some of them, they go and get extra and hide it. And worms grow in it and it smells bad. You know, it's like, you know, come on, you know, it's like, but it's, it's that they wanting to trust in the provision. Well, God gave us enough manna for today. Let's just sneak a little bit. And then if God doesn't come through tomorrow, we'll know. Well, God's saying, no, it's all about you trusting my provision, my provision. I love Psalm 34. It says, many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from all of them. Our, our, but isn't our tendency to go when we have troubles? Like, man, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Why, why am I having this trouble? Why is this happening to me? Many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us from all. You see, we get into trouble when we try to get ourselves out of those things. We don't trust in his provision. I think this is a word for us. Do we trust him to provide Financially, as a congregation, we're having to learn to trust the Lord. We thought, well, we can move in this building. We've got vineyard here for a year. Well, no, we don't. Vineyard got their own building. The Lord says, don't trust that provision. Trust me, the one who will provide. In a little bit, we're going to pray over our children. Our children and our teachers go back to school. Kids, the ones who are still in the service, your prayer is, make my teacher easy, and make me super smart. Right? I mean, that was my prayer. One or the other. Make my teacher super dumb or me super smart. One of the two. Somehow make school easy this year. Remove all the bullies from my class. Make all the, you know, whichever you, is applicable. The guys like me or the girls like me. 
you know? Or maybe both, right? I mean, in terms of like, you know, in different ways, you know? Let all the guys think I'm cool and be my friend and all the girls think I'm really cute, you know? So, you know, whatever the situation is that we pray for those, we, we're praying for the provision. The Lord says, trust me. I'm not going to make you super smart, probably, and I'm not going to make the teacher super stupid. But I am going to get you through it, but you're going to have to trust in me. I'm the provision. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I am what you need. And that's the second point to make, because it's not simply God in the vague, God in the general. God is the God will provide. You hear that a lot. It's not just God will provide. God has provided through the person of Jesus. So even with more of a laser focus, is Jesus enough? That's the question. Jesus says, will you trust me that I am enough? Now, the Lord, Psalm 34 tells us that the Lord desires to provide the things we need. He, he understands we need clothes, we need shelter, we need friends, we need all the things we need, we need health care, we need all the things that we need. But, but ultimately, are we trusting in those things? Or are we trusting in Him, in Jesus? And if He hasn't at any particular time period given us the thing we think we need, will we cry out, Jesus, you are enough. Because the scripture says that Jesus declares that I am the bread of life. I am life for the world. Am I enough? Jesus says. And we Respond, yes, Lord. Let's pray. Father, here we are again, Lord, confronted with how we want to manipulate you and help make you do the things that we need. And then we, we want to walk away from you, Lord, when we feel like you're not providing what we, we think we need, Lord. And, and so it's so backwards. Father, help us to grow in our faith this day to declare, Lord, that you, we look to you, our provider, and we thank you that your provision is the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we declare that Jesus is enough. Jesus says that if we come to him, we will not hunger and thirst. We don't fully know what that means, Lord, but we trust that Jesus will be enough. And we make our claim today that we stand by faith. Lord, help us to understand more. Thank you that we are sitting here in John 6 for the next few weeks. Teach us to trust in you more and illuminate our minds and hearts to understand all that you intend to say to us. We thank you for sending Jesus to be the bread of life. We receive him again this day. In Christ's name, amen.